Hello there, I'm Clara Anfo, and welcome back to This City, a podcast dedicated to the stories, the places, and the people of our wonderful capital city, London. Now, each episode, I'll be talking to some of the city's most recognisable names, whether they were born here or have made it their second home, to hear their very own love letter to London. All right, so this week, I'm going to be talking to someone who was an England footballer, has made history as a pundit, has also graced the Strictly dance floor. So I think that, you know, that makes us sisters now. Um, she's an incredible broadcaster and apart from a couple of spells in Birmingham and in the USA, is a London lifer. I'm so very happy to welcome to this city, athlete broadcaster and all around babe, Alex Scott. <laughs> Alex, I'm happy to have you on the podcast because you, for me, are so much of what this podcast is about. Um, Your story is incredible. But the great thing I like about you is when I was doing research is that you don't give interviews often. So I know that this is this is an exclusive. Yeah, that's true. For me, it's just someone I have to do interviews with someone who I connect with. And that gets kind of me and my personality, someone who I can vibe off. And I don't know, on just similar lines. So straight away, I wanted to do this podcast with you. Well, I appreciate you being a chatty patty with me. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so Alex, talk to me Talk to me about like where we're chatting to you like right now. So you're in your flat, I presume? Yes, I have. Do you know what? I'm laughing because obviously I've got a friendship with Michelle Visage and I lived in America for three years. And then so when anyone says it's my flat, I'm like, no, I live in an apartment. And they're like, oh, please, you're from London. And I love the word that I live in an apartment. You live in a flat. Okay. (laughs) It's mad though. I grew up in the East End of London in a flat, in a tower building, and I still refer to that as my flat. But now, like, I feel like I'm adulting. I'm in an apartment, okay? Babe, you're in a flat. <laughs> you're still not having it, no? You're, you're in a flat. So you grew, you grew up in East. Whereabouts did you grow up? Uh, right next to, it's uh, called Poplar near the Blackwall Tunnel. Actually, listening to one of your old podcasts with Jade, it was funny when she's... Because that's my area. She was talking about how she lives, like, around Canary Wharf. And obviously, when I grew up there, you had none of that. No one wanted to really live in, like, the east end of London. You wanted to get as far away as possible. So when I hear people talk about London and how cool and trendy, like, Shoreditch and everything is, to me, it blows my mind to see all that development around there. Yeah, because as, as a little kid, like, what, what, were you, what were you seeing? What was the East London that, that you knew compared to, like, you know, what we see now? Oh, I always tell people, for me, growing up on a council estate that I did, it's not a sob story because I smile. I have so many good, like, memories. It's made me the person I am coming from where I am. But there was nothing. I had, obviously, I went into football, a football cage, concrete nothing around us next to these big massive gas work chambers and that was kind of my estate and then everyone expects you not to amount to much because of they know where you come from but for me I just had so many dreams and I knew there was more than the east end of London and then so as soon as I got into football that was kind of my thing that I didn't want to let go of because I knew I could go and meet different people travel the world and just see this whole thing that I was out of this football cage that's so interesting what you say, and I and I love this point you make. The fact that just because you come from a council estate, 
it wasn't all doom and gloom because I think like mainstream media in particular, and I think this narrative that always, that has, that has always sort of been around is that if you are from a working class background, particularly if you grew up in social housing, then your life just must have been like misery from start to finish. Yeah, but it's not the truth. Don't get me wrong. Like my a single parent family, like it is all there. We struggled. My mum struggled to have like milk in the fridge sometimes. But we had so many happy memories as well. Like my mum just managing to like cook basic like egg and chips for dinner. But we weren't complaining. Do you know, like we had so many fun times. And I think there's so many people that, well, you know, you have to have a baby to get a council house. And they don't drum into you that actually there are opportunities. If you can go out and reach them, that doesn't have to be you. So I don't understand like how you said that has to be the narrative of people. Well, well okay, well, she's just going to like go and sign on and do this because she's got no aspirations. Everyone in the council said you do have aspirations to go and be something. I guess it's just about who supports it, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I guess also what I want to talk to you about was the support. Like what gave you, I guess, the push to go for that alternative route? The one that wasn't expected of you. <laughs> this could be actually funny. I remember a story. Do you know way back when, when, when video cassettes, you had to watch video on video cassettes. Every Christmas, Disney used to put out this advertisement about wanting to go to Disneyland and you could phone this number for a free video. And I used to phone up without my mum's permission and pretend it was her and be like, so they sent me the video basically in the post. And Clara, every Christmas I used to sit and dream about going to Disneyland and then just see this magic world out there that I never knew was beyond the East End. And literally that was it. I was like, I want to go and visit these places. There's some magical things going on in the world. And so, like I said, when I got signed for Arsenal, I then ventured to North London and there was like these different kind of people I was meeting and having different conversations. And then I'd go on like these little football trips up to Nottingham and I I'm at the north of the country, not even north, but you know, I was like going up the M1. So I think it was then just my like interest for life was just growing and growing with different people I was meeting. But it all came from that Disney video. Well, so Disney basically gave you that gave you the dream to get out of to get out of Poplar. <laughs> yeah, and I only ever went to Disneyland last year was my first time when I went over to LA. And was it the happiest place on earth? I actually cried because I remembered that little girl <laughs> sitting in her bedroom just watching and dreaming of going to Disney World. <laughs> yeah, you look, you you manifested that. You manifested that. Thanks. thanks um, talk to me about your mum. You mentioned like she made you like egg and egg and chips dinner, just for yep. example. So your mum, where is she from? Is she is she London born and bred as well? Still, East End of London, where I grew up, she's there. My brother's still there. And yeah, my mum is my absolute hero. Whenever I do do interviews, everyone kind of knows my because I always mention my mum and I'm just so grateful for her because it would have been very easy for her to push me on another path. There's no career in football for women, but she could see it was giving me something and just everything that she's had to overcome in her life as well. She is just my ultimate role model, someone that shows strength and adversity, but just how kind and loyal and the great human being she is. And that's how I'm just like, my mum to me is just everything. No, look, she, she sounds amazing. And obviously you answer whatever you feel comfortable with, of, of course, because, you know, I think one thing that um, I speak about a lot on the podcast, and it's just has come up a lot of, is is like race and class. Yeah. London is such a beautiful metropolitan city. It is, it is the melting pot. It is all these positive things that, that we say. I'm not saying it's perfect, 
Yeah. By any way, shape or form, whether it's people that have been born here or people that have, you know, made it their second home, which I say in, 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 in the intro, I guess the continuing theme of the show is that people have found safety in community. They have found yeah. safety with with different cultures. Next one, obviously, you, you're, you're a mixed race woman. Mm-hmm. Um, surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, it's been a great year of learning. Like for me as a black woman, I am very, very aware and very careful about not speaking for mixed race people because it's not my place to. And I want to learn from you, you know, Mm -hmm. as a mixed race woman growing up in East London, like 80s, 90s, like noughties. What was your experience? Because you mentioned like your your mum's a single mother. And Mm -hmm. from my experience and from what what I've perceived, you know, um, to be a white woman, bringing up a black child in, in a particular time in history. And let's just be honest, still now. Um, yeah. some white women can be, can be looked at in a particular way. Like, what was your experience with your mum growing up? Exactly that. She knew that when we talk about racism, and I've learned a lot this year, and I've realised I'm still learning, and my eyes and ears are so open, more than ever, I have to admit, by not by pointing fingers at anyone else, but for me wanting to grow as a human being and learn more as well. And I think I went through a time growing up with my mum, how you just said, the looks that she would get the comments that she would get and the same thing, oh, we told you that was going to happen, you know, because she was with my dad and then when he left when I was young, that she's a white woman raising two black kids on a council estate, you know, and and struggling. But I think what my mum did was try to protect us from it. So it's that very much the elephant in the room, which we've still, to this day and age, it's the same. We didn't know how to have a conversation about it. So... Me and my brother grew up not having that conversation about it. It wasn't spoken about in school. And so I just still grew up with all this racism and everything around me, but I had no conversations. So it's not until this year. And then actually, some of the stuff that I've gone through, so even with football, which was very much, yeah, I'd get it from some parents, how they would look at me, single parent families, and kind of that feel feeling sorry for me. I've never, ever felt sorry for myself. I don't need someone else to feel sorry for me. I'm all right. I'm in my happy place. But the same situations, like I was that black kid that didn't have a parent on the side. But even though my mum's doing everything to make sure I get my football boots and like, I absolutely love her for it. And so, yeah, what I'm saying is like the same thing. I went from being in one environment to maybe coming back to the east end of London and I wasn't white enough to be over here and I wasn't black enough sometimes to be here. And then so thinking about it all this year, I went through a whole thing of being confused, to be honest, and asking myself questions. Well, actually, what am I? Actually, where do I fit? What group of people do I gravitate to and why? Um, And then only kind of learning this year. I'm just me. I'm comfortable with who I am or not trying to fit in, but actually still using my voice more. And this is where I reached out to you. As soon as you was putting posts up and I was reading, it was making me look at myself more and raise those questions and ask them where before maybe I was not scared to, but I was like, do I have a voice? Because I am mixed race. Like, where do I fit? Oh, I shouldn't be saying that where actually we all need to be asking more questions. Absolutely. And I, and I wanted to ask, just, you know, within the city, how did you growing up? If I mean, because just based on what you just said and like, you know, in your in your current state now, how have you navigated like where to, I guess, find your culture like in London, like whether it's, you know, through like food or like where you used to go raving, like, like how yeah. did you sort of like, I guess, find yourself culturally growing up? Oh, it's great. My nan's from Jamaica. 
And then so every week, I because same, my mum didn't have a clue how to deal with my Afro hair or what to do with it. So every Sunday before school Monday, I used to have to go to my nan's and my nan would sit for hours washing my hair, plaiting my hair, telling me all about my hair care and how I need to look after it now for years to come so I have healthy hair. And so she used to sit and tell me stories about growing up in Jamaica, what it was like. So most of my education came from those hours spent with my nan and she passed away two years ago. And I realised I was so close to her and I actually, I missed that because she would try to teach me how to cook uh, Jamaican food or why it's important to see of my chicken and Better. all the oh exactly you better wash like, that, that chicken as well <laughs> <laughs> but that's a big lot I never had anyone around me besides my nan trying to teach me about that culture I grew up my mum R&B soul music Mary J Blige going to all the concerts because my mum loved that music so I was just trying to find my own way no t- I t- totally I can I can see little Alex I can know <laughs> yeah. I can I can see I, w- I want to go more into that like so where was your nan taking you in London what was your sort yeah. of rituals like with your nan and whereabouts in town were they happening so my nan um she lived in Wapping so she would literally it would be like walking to market stalls her explaining to me about food and just about life and then telling me all about my hair and just everything about it I just absolutely loved and I'm actually doing a program later on this year to actually find out more to go over to Jamaica to understand because I still don't know besides her stories I really don't know besides how you say finding my culture through music or people that I'm meeting and I think yo because of where I've grown up and just my background I think that's what's given me my passion for life and meeting people and having conversations because I'm someone that just always wants to learn for sure like like when you were when you were growing up on the estate like what what was like the mix of kids like was it was it mainly white kids was it black kids were there Asian kids like what what was the makeup Uh, yeah so different a lot of Asian kids, uh, black kids, because I went to school with Dizzy Rascal. I'm hey, Dizzy. Yeah, so like, it was all about that time when private radio stations were coming in, rinse, that I'd be hanging out with all the boys. So I'd have that pocket of friends. And then I'd be in a football bubble, which was more like girls that went to private school and everything. And there's me like trying to fit in and like change the way that I'm speaking because I'm this Cockney girl. But then I'd come <laughs> back to London and they're like, oh, you've changed. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm too Cockney to be with the posh kids and like I'm coming back to London and now they're saying I'm too posh wow so you you really were living like um a parallel life across like race and class yeah but I wouldn't change any of it you know I would not change any of it Um, you mentioned music, which obviously you know is is my love and I see what you post (laughs) off in your stories your selections are always very good (laughs) I love me my music. I love it. Listen, when Spotify put in that music option on stories, I was just like, thank God. Um, I love that you put a shanty rain on me up the other day. That was that was a good one. People were liking that. They was like, well, where is the shanty gone? We used to love her so much. I was like, yeah, throwing it back. She, she's still about, she's still active. And um, you mentioned going to concerts. So talk to me about um, where, yeah, like your first ever gig that you went to. Um, in the city do you remember or like a memorable gig because you mentioned Mary J Blige right I think that was one of my first ones I took my mum to Mary J Blige at Wembley Arena 
Oh my gosh, I have so I love Mary J. Blige. And I remember going to my first Arsenal, right? Christmas party. It was the first time the men mixed with the um women's team. We were allowed at the same Christmas party. My whole outfit that I wanted to go with was Mary J. Blige and wear a hat to the side. <laughs> Clara, I got too drunk. I had too many wines. I didn't even make it to the party. Listen. But but my hat did because the girls knew that this was all about my Mary J. Blige hat. The photos, I'm going to send you some, was my hat being passed around every time a Mary J. Blige song came on. I was like, I can't believe I didn't make the party. Mary's the queen. So that was the first, that was one of the a show you remember taking your mum to at Wembley. Yeah, at Wembley. And she just smashed it. Her energy, obviously we know about her vocals. Oh, just that concert. And Lauren Hill, um, when she first dropped that album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, I remember taking my mum to that. I feel like I just keep taking my mum to these concerts. I really do go with my friends, you know. <laughs> look, 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 I did no judgment. Your mum sounds like she's a fantastic woman. <laughs> and look, she brought you into this world, so you may as well take her to a gig or two. So it's the least you could do. <laughs> TVS. I just love that mum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my mum appreciates like good music. But no, that's my thing. When people say, what do you do like on your downtime? What do you like to do? My thing is, I love live music. It's just the energy it gives me. So yeah, I go to as many as I can. Beyonce. That's why I did Beyonce on Strictly. Can, I've okay. seen her oh, every time. We'll get into Strictly in, in, in more detail in a bit because... Okay, so dear listener, on this day of recording, right, it is literally the night before I find out who my partner is for this year's series. And I am, I'm so excited. I'm also shitting myself. And yeah, I was going to say, how are you feeling? I'm like, I, I, just, I can't wait to find out who it is. But yeah, guys, we're recording this episode. And also, peep this, you can't hear her at the moment, but Michelle Visage is actually staying at Alex's house. It's like, it's a Strictly loving. <laughs> oh, hang on. Is she coming over? Michelle Visage. Hi, Clara. I just take my mask off, huh? You are looking very, very chic. So guys, Michelle is wearing, I want to say, like an iridescent rainbow mask that is attached to a very chic (laughs) silver chain. Because of course. Because why not? Exactly. So Michelle, I know you are a proper Anglophile. Indeed. And indeed, she says. And (laughs) this podcast is all about people's lives and their love affair with London. Um... Okay, look, you've travelled the world several times, but I know London is somewhere you're obsessed with. What is it about this city that you love the most? What keeps you coming back? Do you know what? I've been to a lot of places. I've been very lucky that way. I've been able to tour. Never holiday. (laughs) It's always work. Um, But my happiest place on earth is in the United Kingdom. Um, I don't want to just single out London in general, though I love London so much. And I spend most of my time here, but all of the UK. I love the North. Like I always say... If I was born here, I'd be a northern lass, I think. Would you? I think so, don't you? I've heard your impressions on your podcast of Rue. Your regional accents. They're good, you know. They are very good. No, they're they're, 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 they're awful. No, not going to do it. Uh, Trust me, I've heard a lot worse. Yours are good. (laughs) They're really bad. But even I'll do it for you. Even my trainer is from Manchester. I'm just an Anglophile because I'm such a wannabe Brit. I'm going to take driving lessons and learn how to drive here. Like... Uh, and you ask me what it is. Yeah. London is, I'm from New York, so it's a melting pot. And London has that same effect only with a really, really good attitude. Most <laughs> New Yorkers are like in your face and they'll tell you like it is. And they're not the nicest people. Londoners, I don't know. I just, when I get off the plane, I just feel like, oh, I'm home. I've always felt accepted. I always felt appreciated. I always felt loved. And the sense of humor is so on par with what makes me laugh. 
London people in general, whether it's north, south, east, southwest, west, they're all the same kind of twisted, dry sense of humor. And mm -hmm. I love it. And I love you all, no matter where you come from. We're all kind of in this together. And I love that mentality. When she got off the plane yesterday, our voice note, I'm like, welcome home. Yes! This is it. Michelle, I have to ask you, when you go to the gay clubs in London, what is your welcome like? Because I can imagine it's it's like a queen's welcome, like literally. It is, you know, like I'm I'm so genuinely grateful and blessed that way. That's that's my people, that's my family. And when I come in, I I feel a bit like royalty, but I also feel like I'm with my brothers and sisters. This is where I fit in. This is where I belong. I never have any question of being welcomed into that. So for me, it's like, come on, let's go hang out with family. And it, it's very that. And and I love it. And when I do get the chance to do it, that that's where I go. Have you got any uh, any stories from any nights out? Or, or could they probably not make the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> they probably wouldn't make the podcast. But um, I had a really fun night out with Alex for her birthday last year. We went to Salsa Club. Oh, fuck. And yeah, and her and I, I had just salsa that week and it wasn't the best on Strictly. And uh, we went out there. We were, Alex had a little bit to drink and I was watching and my knee was injured, but I didn't care. I was in heels and we were out there just dancing and had the best time. And it wasn't a gay bar, but it was it so yeah. much fun. I was just dancing with people. I, and I was like, this isn't choreographed. I don't know what I'm doing. And they don't care. They just drag you onto the dance floor. And it's so much fun. And I can't wait till this a COVID thing finally goes away so we can all do it again. And this time with you, Clara. Uh, you know, I was I was hoping you were going to ask because I'd be like, please, can I come? Please, can <laughs> I come? Yeah, yeah, are you yeah. kidding? Thank yeah. you. Now, before I let you go, um, I have to ask, Strictly Tips, any tips for me, Michelle, about the show? Um, my tip is to have the best time ever, to give in to your pro. Your pro knows what they're doing. Sometimes, you know, you're, they're putting two people together in a very vulnerable, especially for women, we're put in this vulnerable position where we have to give ourselves over. And all three of us sitting here are very strong women. And we're not used to being vulnerable and giving ourselves over completely to a man or to a partner. Um, we've, you know, gone after stuff our whole lives. And this is one situation where you have to go, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable. I mean, if you think about it, you're connected. Your, your knee is between their legs and vice versa. When you dance, it's very <laughs> intimate and you have to let it all go because if you're worrying about what you look like, or what you're doing, it's never gonna work. So give in to the system, have the best time ever, realize you're not a pro, that's why you're learning, and don't judge yourself and just have the best time. Ask, ask Alex, oh I, I still dance twice a week, I am obsessed with it. It's the best experience you'll ever have if you allow yourself to do it. Oh gosh. Okay, that's some excellent advice. Thank you so much, Michelle. Oh, wait, and before we just let Michelle go as well, <laughs> yeah. because of Strictly, like how we were talking about from where I grew up and who comes into your life, Strictly brought me and Michelle together. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful because our past, we, we don't know, would have ever crossed totally mm -hmm. different people, mm -hmm. different industries. Yep. And she is one of my closest people and dearest people in my life. That's my girl. Because of Strictly. It's one of so, my favourite yeah. things that I got. Yeah, I'm grateful to Strictly for so many reasons, but mostly for Alex and my friendship. And just like she said, you don't know why you connect, how you connect, but sometimes you just do. And that's probably one of, if not my favorite thing to come out of that show. Oh, so. guys, honestly, <laughs> I like, you've got me beaming. This is so, this is really be beautiful to learn and like, and see from you too. Oh, oh I mean, I don't want to stop the podcast there, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
Have the best time, Clara. Thank you so time. much. I appreciate your time, Michelle. Beautiful. So beautiful. I just love that about life and shows like Strictly, like that, that I have one of the dearest friends who I listen to, like how you've just seen her advice and outlook on life is just, yeah, precious to me. Yeah, man. With all the people that I've spoken to, like in the series, I just love the fact that, you know, this city, wherever you're from, life can take you anywhere. I mean, look, London is always going to be your home, but where it can take you, and the opportunities it can afford you. Because, like, you know, if you hadn't have aspired for a different life, then you wouldn't have become a footballer. Then you wouldn't have had the opportunities to, like, play for Arsenal, win the <laughs> win the FA Cup, become a football pundit, go into Strictly, meet one of your best friends. Like, it's mad. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like we're all just on this journey. And, like, with Strictly now, how we're talking to you about it, it's one of the most amazing things. And now I look back, it was a whole amazing chapter of my life. And now, like, you're about to have this chapter and I'm on to the next thing. Obviously, like, my TV career is, like, going kind of different ways. It's just, yeah, the journey's special, man. I'll never take it for granted. You mentioned obviously going to gigs with your mom um, and, you know, Michelle has mentioned that you, you like a little drink. You've mentioned you like a little drink. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to know, like growing up training wise, what was that like for you? Did you have like that typical teenage like clubbing experience or were you always in bed every night, eight o'clock, knowing you had to be up early for like training? Like what was your regime like as a teen? I would say that it was a mixture. It was hard because like I said, I had that football environment and I also had my friends from the East End of London that was living that lifestyle and going out. And there was me thinking, I'm missing out on things. So it was really hard to try and find that balance. Can I ask you, what age were you um, signed and what is that process like? Because you hear a lot... I, I know, growing up, I've always read, like, oh, so-and-so got signed by this football team or got scouted when they were, like, six years old when their mum was, like, two months pregnant with them. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I had signed to Arsenal when I was eight years old. Damn. But lucky, I was still playing in the East End of London. It's like they put on this local football tournament and one of my brother's friends dropped out. So they was like, Alex, you can come play with us. And one of the referees knew someone down at Arsenal and he was like, you know there is a women's team. You need to go down there. And I was like, nah, not interested. Just want to carry on playing in this football cage. And so he actually took me down to Arsenal and they signed me straight away. Wrong. Yeah. I'll never forget. His name is like Edwin, Edwin Lewis. You know, we used to have... What, growing up on the estates, what are they called? Like the play centres and everything. Mm -hmm. So this was a hub where we'd all go and hang out and Edwin looked after the play centre. So he took me down to Arsenal and they signed me. Wow, so we'll big up Edwin. Yeah. They need those play centres still for kids, man. Like It was like my only like go-to and hangout where I wasn't at home. You hear that, government? More <laughs> play centres for young people, please. Please. So Edwin is this guy, are you still in contact with Edwin? Yeah, he's followed my career the whole way through and every time like I get a job or do something, I will always talk about it, it was because of him. That's amazing. So eight years old, you get signed. Yeah, eight years old, got signed. I used to have to get the 277 bus from the East End of London all the way to Highbury for training on like Tuesdays and Thursday evenings and literally just worked my way all through like the youth ranks and then made the first team and then, yeah, made my debut for England when I was 17. That, so you had to kind of grow up fast because, you know, between the ages of 8 to 17, I know that I was literally just sat on my floor, like, watching cable TV. So, yeah, so did you, you missed out on that whole clubbing experience? Or were there some days yeah. when you were a bit naughty and, like, you maybe went to the club when you should have been in bed 
to train yeah. or what, what 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 were you like as a student I had this one student school wise I really struggled I struggled because back then like I'm visual and I'm kind of dyslexic so I had teachers that kind of didn't understand that back then so I become frustrated and my attendance was poor all because I was trying to figure it out but I had this one friend Lee who used to love going partying so every other weekend or something I'd still try to be cool with her so she used to be up in the west end of London all the clubs like trying to get me in oh Oh my gosh, so many fun memories. Up in Trocadero, we were like China Whites way back when. Um, like those were the special occasions. Oh my gosh, I don't even know if that club's still there. Is it Astoria where they had the swimming pool? Oh, um, oh so no, you're talking Aquarium. about Aquarium. Aquarium, Aquarium. So yeah, that's on Old Street, yeah. Yeah, I thought I was so cool going in there. Been to Astoria when that was open. Oh my God, I remember as well, me and my friend laughing because we wanted to go Ministry of Sound. Oh, oh yes, Elephant like, Castle. <laughs> yeah, we all chipped in to get a cab and it was like £20. And then so we got into Ministry of Sound like, £20, Ministry of Sound. And that used to be our go-to line. How bloody cheesy. <laughs> Thinking we're big women. Oh my God, listen, I remember the first time um, I went to a club and looking back now, the guy completely knew we were all underage or like just about legal. It was ridiculous. And we went to, it's very much like you and your girls, we all chipped in uh, for a taxi and we went to the Hippodrome in Leicester Square. <laughs> and yeah. we thought we were bad. We, we <laughs> thought we were so grown up. Like, yeah, sorry about it. Can't talk to you. Grown up now, went to a club. <laughs> But God, I swear, I didn't hardly have anything to drink in there because I spent all my money on the cab fare and like even trying to get there. But just to know you could get, get into somewhere like it, no, it's, it's the right of passage though, isn't it? Yeah, those are the days. Like, Because now I would say I'm still kind of learning about life in London, like different restaurants, vibes to go, because I kind of did it early on, like trying to be that big woman when I was 16 and then got real serious with sport and wanting to be the best elite. So totally my lifestyle changed when now I'm retired. I'm like, hey, like, let's go have some fun. Like, I need that in my life. So I would say I'm on a whole new adventure of learning about London again. So, okay, well, tell me, what have you learned? Like, where do you love to eat at the moment? Like, restaurant-wise, where are your faves? Restaurant-wise, at the moment, I'm kind of boring. I, my go-to is central London, like, really in town, trying to find... I don't want to keep going to the same places, so I live off recommendations and going every weekend, spending different time and places. It's with the people that I hang out with as well. Like if I'm meeting Michelle, she like take me, oh, let's go here. And I'm like, okay. Different restaurants, different bars. I want it all. People that listen to this podcast, I'm open. Send them <laughs> in to us, please. Uh, yeah, please, please. At Alex Scott, at her. Um, <laughs> I have to ask, have you found the sweet spot to get that good, good Jamaican food? no. And I miss, I miss my nan. My nan would phone me up, my nickname, Ali Oops. She'd be like, Ali Oops, come down, me cook for you. And so I used to just go down. That was a really bad accent, by the way. That is lovely. She used to come down. Michelle Bissard is She is. She's like, what the heck? <laughs> so where's my go-to? Where do I need to go? I'm like now Northwest. Ooh, oh God. Oh, do you know what? There must be some good places around like sort of like Labrooke Grove area, like obviously because of Carnival. Uh, yeah. Oh, talk to me about carnival. I mean, I like to talk to everybody about, about carnival. Did you indulge in carnival when you were growing up or were you like that focused on, on football that you just didn't ever go? 
No, I love carnival, which goes into my passion of music. And then just there, you can get lost in the crowd, just have fun. There's no judgments. You can go in any attire that you want because people just want to see people having fun. And then obviously that was my go-to for food every year as well. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my element. So I've missed it this year. Actually, I wanted to ask you, like, what is people's reaction to you now when you go back home? Have you stayed friends with a lot of the same people? Do people treat you differently in a positive or, or negative way now that, you know, you have become Alex Scott, like, trademark? Because before, <laughs> yeah. you were just Alex from around the way. Are yeah. you still Alex from around the way? Or do you think things change when you go back to East London? No, I'm still Alex from around the way, but I feel like people have gone on the journey with me. Like, I'm still that same girl. I haven't changed. I never will change. I'm still so grounded and just love everything. And people feel like they've been on this journey with me. So when they do see me when I'm going around to my mum's for a roast dinner, they just tell me how proud they are of me. But then that's where I kind of go into myself and I'm embarrassed because I'm just like, I'm just me. Like, I've just done me. I don't know. You can just do you too. But I absolutely love it. Like, obviously, I've had hard time with social media and everything. But the amount of people going out of their way to stop me on the street or even write to me now on social media. Because I think sometimes when we see something good in someone, we don't tell them that. It's very easy for everyone to just do the negative. So a lot of people now have been going out of their way to be like, Alex, you're such a role model. Keep doing you. Because when we sit at home and we're watching you, whether they're in the East End or certain parts of London, like we're looking up to you. You're making us dream and believe. And to me, that is just everything. You know, that's so beautiful to hear. So encouraging to hear. And again, I always say to anybody, I only want to speak about what you're comfortable with. And you know what, particularly this year, I think one thing I've definitely had to establish is boundaries, right? Because yeah. look, when you when you do interviews and you speak to people, of course, they want to talk to you about things that are publicised and, you know, and their assumptions, because that's the whole point of interview, right? You want to get a real takeaway from a person that you think you know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as an observer and as a colleague and as a peer have seen what you have been through, like with, with social media and, and with just like, like, well, let's just call it what it is, the abuse yeah. that you receive. Like, how are you processing it now? I went, I'm so like how you speak about therapy, you're so open about it. And like, I've become a lot more open about going to therapy and what it's done for me. Because when I tried to hide it, all the abuse that I received when I first transitioned into broadcasting, like I had the headlines, like Alex is making history, first female pundit, this, whatever, whatever. And then it quickly turned to so much negative abuse on social media. Not even that. It was like every form. I was getting death threats and so... But I was hiding it all. What the hell? Yeah, I didn't want... Going back to how we are as females, one, I didn't want to be seen as being this female moaning about her job. Two, being black, the angry black woman, <laughs> like, know, raising right. concerns. So I had all these different things that I was like, I can't say anything. I can't seem ungrateful because actually I love being on TV in my job. It was all the stuff that was coming with it. So, yeah. And then I, my personality just began to change. I went into myself. I was drinking. I was like depressed, like all of it, which then the final straw was I got to the stage where I was like, I can't continue like this. Like I'm crying. I need help. And then so that's what I then went into therapy and I learned skills, how to process it all, how to actually open up and talk about my feelings, emotions, and not just even about TV. Like I become like, I'm learning stuff about life and about myself. So it was like an eye opener. And I'm so grateful that actually out of that negative situation, they bloody trolls pushed me into therapy and I'm so grateful for it. So thank you. Yeah. How'd you like that? Pushing me on. Hans. (laughs) 
Listen, you know, you know the phrase, um, you know, I love to see it. They love to see it. Like we, uh, like you know, I, I, I love to see its success, and it's so interesting with, with people that troll on social media, particularly, you know, uh, what we call misogynoir, which is, you know, the people misogynoir, which is the hatred of black women. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. people will ask you, like, how does it feel to be um, a woman in this industry? How does it feel to be a black woman in this industry? It's just like, yes, honey. When you're at the intersection of both, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Bloody hell, the amount of things like, oh, I'm ticking a box because I'm female. Oh, I'm ticking a box because I'm black. Ding, oh, like the amount ding. of bloody boxes. Like, no, it's called just working hard and it's not an overnight success. It's years of hard work That's and it. actually deserving your place to be there. And I just so happen to be black and a female. Sorry about it, hun, but yeah, this is the body Don't, you were born into. Yeah, and I've got to the stage how you said before, like I'm not even apologising for someone who had dreams and aspirations and just worked hard. And work hard, you have. You're paying it forward as well because you've got your academy, right? Yeah, my thing is like how I just want kids to believe. They believe there's opportunities there for you. Just go and get it. If like seeing and listening to people like you or me can help in any way, like I'm all for it. Like I just want people to actually know that there's room for all of us. We're not in competition. Just go be you. Yeah. Do you know, it's spoken like a true footballer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I don't speak football. I say this regularly on my radio show, right? When it comes to football, I am the cliche of a woman who doesn't know about football. And you know, I, I want to just make it clear. Obviously, look, I'm, I'm talking to you. You are you are an ex-professional footballer. But um, what, what do you want for women's football in the future? Especially in, in London, because cause how many major teams are there in the, in the city at the moment? So you've got Arsenal... Arsenal, Chelsea, West Ham, Spurs, like all the big... So it's like it's connected. like for like, basically. We're getting there, yeah. Especially the WSL, this form. For me, people ask me, oh, do you wish you were just coming into the game now and playing now? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. I've been part of a process where I used to have to wash Ian Wright's football kit Excuse to earn extra me. money. Do you know? And now I'm like sitting alongside him and working and Wright is like my friend and my go-to. I've been part of a process of helping this sport develop to where it is and I'm so proud. And how I spoke about chapters before, like I'm playing a role now being in media to help my sport grow even more more like I'm so happy that young girls can see their female role models and be like oh, I want to be like Lucy Bronze who plays for England because I didn't have that I used to want to try and be like Ian Wright because that's all I saw oh god what's the what's the reaction like um when you bump into those, those football playing little girls like out and about it must be amazing oh, but it does it makes me like go a bit embarrassed like when I'm out on my run or walking and people are like <laughs> my god that's Alex and I'm like waving back I'm like yeah like because I still I'm still pinching myself too that actually people see me in that way when I'm just I'm just me Where, where's the weirdest place in the city that you've been recognized or when you get into a black taxi or an uber do they do they clock you yeah but they always support spurs so their always go-to line is oh do you know what I like you but I shouldn't be talking to you I don't even know why I've put on that accent and I'm like why are you do you support Spurs yeah I support Spurs I'm like okay and I'm like it's all right I still have a conversation and then they'll ask for a selfie at the end I'm sure yeah always I knew it honestly Alex though you're just doing such an incredible job and it's and it's so funny because from the outside looking in because obviously I know how it feels and people chat shit when somebody spews that hate on the wrong day, when you're feeling vulnerable, you 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 will internalise it. You will. Yeah. 
the climate, it was like every day, every day when I was coming off, I was just getting this wave and this wave. And then, like I said, then there were death threats and rape threats. And like, I live on my own. And I'm like, I can't even, who can I even speak to about this? I don't want my mum to worry. I don't want, like how I said, people to feel like I can't handle myself or I can't handle this business. Because what people's go-to line is, just get off social media. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, I have, like, good fans who I want to connect with and show my personality. And then you just have this wave and this hate. And I was just like, oh, my... It's, like, so... It was so hard in the early stages to deal with. But it's like how you said, like, you need to keep using your voice. And that's what I'm saying. And now I understood the importance because before I was just there... But actually, no, I need to fight for change to happen. I'm in a position where I can keep having these conversations. Like, I need, I know I've got a role and I have to play. I have a platform and I, it's my responsibility to use my platform in the right way. That's it, mate. That really is it. Damn, we're going to change the world, girl. <laughs> Alex, thank you so, 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 so much. Thank you for having me. I've loved talking to you. I'm just your East End London girl that loves growing up in this city. I've always loved it. It's made me who I am. But I'm someone that loves traveling the world as well. And anytime that I'm on TV and people tell me that I'm not pronouncing my G's or whatever, it's because I'm from London and I'm proud of it. Thank you so very much for joining me for another episode of This City. I've been your host, Clara Anfo. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please let us know. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Please rate, review, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you can catch the next episode as soon as it lands. And also, do let me know who you would like to hear next. I'm all ears. Thank you so much again for listening. This has been a Sony Music fourth floor creative production. (laughs) 